I would not say, hey, what are your biggest issues in the world right now? I would say, hey, what are your biggest issues with managing your projects right now? Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 308 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, and entrepreneurs, and everyone who wants to have better, more successful products in the market. I'm your host, Nels Davis. As you know, I've been doing a weekly video series on YouTube. It's Monday nights, 7.30 Pacific time, about various product management topics, and I found they make good podcasts as well, and this is one of those. Uh, you can't obviously see the slides in the podcast, but I'll put a link in the show notes to the original video in case you want to see the slides. I think you can get a lot out of this podcast without any slides. The topic for this episode is some practical guidance on how to get out of the building. We all know as product managers that we need to be out talking to our customers and to non-customers, to prospects, to lost prospects, basically be, do be doing continuous market discovery. But the reality is that it's a lot easier to say than to do. Now, this is not the first time I've covered this topic and related topics. I have a blog post on getting out of the building and a few other bits of guidance, including a freebie download. Again, there'll be a link that gives you some good hints on how to ask good questions when you're talking to folks in the market. I also mentioned some very good articles by a great product management thinker and consultant, Teresa Torres, and there'll be links to her articles as well. If you think this is good information in this podcast episode, you can help make sure other product managers learn about it by clicking on the like button or by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other folks discover the content of this episode and other episodes in the series. If you use the Overcast app like I do, you can click the little star button next to the episode and that's how you show that you like it. Uh, also, I welcome your comments. If you have comments, thoughts, or further insights for me, I love to get them and to get your feedback. You can go to alltheresponsibility.com slash 308. You can leave me a comment by voicemail. There's a little widget there. Or you can leave a regular comment. Just type it in. Now, I get started in this episode with a short explanation on how this topic came up for me recently and my particular challenge with getting out of the building. There's one particular step in the process that I have often found very difficult, and you'll learn all about that. It's really in response to a question that somebody asked me a few months ago. The question was, how do you actually get out of the building? This is a person who was a product manager. She'd been a product manager not too long, but she knew that she needed to get out of the building more. She knew that she had that need to go out and market to customers, but she felt that that advice in particular, get out of the building, was not too actionable. I thought I'd do a little research and based on some of my own experience, talk about how we can think about the idea of getting out of the building. There's just some ideas, and as I said, I've got a blog post. Hopefully, this will be somewhat useful. And I'm actually going to cover a little bit more than in the post. The bottom line is, what do you really need to do in order to really take action on this phrase of get out of the building, right? We know we need to do market discovery. We know we need to get out there, and we know we need to find out what the real problems are out there. But the question, the real question is, what are the real steps to doing this? What are the actual steps that you have to take to go out and, and do this finding market problems concept? And 
as I said, get out of the buildings too high, high level. So I, the first bit of advice I gave her really was, you know, don't freak out. It, it's, this is a thing that a lot of people have solved. Some people are really good at it at all, the, at all the parts. Well, I, I think actually I should correct that. I think there's a lot of parts to this, to doing good market discovery. And I think everybody probably has some challenges in one area or another. And in fact, um, you know, I definitely do have some challenges in some of the areas. So let me just quickly tell you about my, my particular challenge. You know, I'm, I'm really good on the phone with customers. I'm really good at eliciting their problems. I'm also even good. One of my superpowers is really telling people that we're not going to do their enhancement request and having them agree that that's a good conclusion to come to. But I'm really terrible at setting up that initial appointment. It, it, and it, it's not rational at all. It, like a lot of these challenges that people have on day-to-day -day types of things, it's not challenging. So I'll tell you in the end about how I address this problem of setting up the appointments. There's, of course, different things you can do. There, there's like, I, I, well, I'll tell you one thing I did, and I'll tell you about the superpower thing I did that at the moment, unfortunately, my superpower fa faded in, in that particular instance. But one thing I did was I set up a Calendly account. So I can send people to a website link that has that knows about my calendar, and they and people can set up, choose their own time, to meet with me, uh, based on what my calendar is and what their calendar is. It's very it's very powerful to have this capability. It doesn't eliminate the problem completely because I still have to send those people an email and ask them to to contact me. But the point is there are what tools you can use, and I'll tell you as I say I'll tell you about another one that I used, which I think was the most important one. I really recommend also, you don't just listen to me on how to do uh, address market problems or find market problems and get out there and do market discovery, but you um, should also talk to or listen to read Teresa Torres' uh, stuff. She is a really fantastic product management writer and thinker. Her real focus is on market discovery and, and, and continuous discovery and getting out there and essentially finding out what the market wants. And she's really good at it. So I, some of this that I'm going to present is based on, on her stuff because she's so good. But we all have to know how to do it. And we all have our own challenges with the different parts. But I, I, I recommend looking at her stuff. And there are some, um, I'll put some links in the show notes about how to find Teresa Torres stuff. She has this great story in one of her articles about, you know, she was working with a car company. And, and she just had her people and their product managers go to a local mall and start asking people about how they felt about cars. They were trying to find out some particular things, and so they were, the questions were about some particular aspect of cars. But it's just like such an amazing thing to think how easy it is to go out, and sometimes sometimes it's really easy to just go out there and get the information that you that you need. Of course, sometimes for some of us, it's not quite as easy because, for example, maybe we don't have s such a consumer-oriented product. It's a little harder if you have enterprise users who live in enterprises and you have to touch them, but I, I'll give you some advice on that as well. And I'm sure, again, Teresa Torres can give you advice about that as well. Some of her clients are definitely enterprise software companies. What are the challenges? Well, there's a lot of different things you have to do in order to set up these customer discovery meetings. There's lots of moving parts. There's, you know, you have to do things like finding people. You have to schedule people. That's the thing that was really difficult for me. You have to prepare yourself. Like, what questions are you going to ask? What, what are you trying to discover? What do you know about these people already that you can make use of as you, you know, talk to them? It's always good to have some kind of built-in or previously known information that you can use to create some engagement with the person. You know, if you know something about them, you can start out talking like that, or you can use some of the 
things that you know about them as examples when you're asking questions and things like that. Then, of course, you've got to capture those interviews. Well, you've got to do the interviews. You've got to capture them. And then you need to do analysis on what you learned or what you heard to find out what you learn. And oftentimes, as I've talked a lot about in previous videos and in articles, there's typically not going to be, somebody's not just going to say, oh, here's a problem I have, and if you, if you solve this problem, you're going to make millions of dollars. It's typically, there's a weak signal. You don't get the full message from this one interview. That's basically what, it's, what I'm talking about. You have to talk to a lot of different people, and you start to triangulate on things that you can solve based on talking to lots of folks. And that's what you're going to find as you do these interviews. You have to start searching for these weak signals. And then, of course, let's assume you found some weak signals that indicate market problems that could be solved by you. Then you have to prioritize those and take action. And if you find a really good one, you then have to get somebody to fund the development of that. So there's all these different steps. And, of course, they all take sort of different kinds of skills. And I just wanted to share that, that whole complicated set of things. One of the things that is really challenging about these conversations, and this is not related to setting up the appointment, but just something to keep in mind as you, as you do this type of discovery. And, and I think this is something that makes it seem really challenging because at least for me, I fear when I'm going to go out and talk to customers that I'm just going to hear a lot of bad stuff about my product because, and, and partly this is the curse of knowledge. Well, there's two things I, I think I'm going to do. One of the challenges is that I'm going to hear about all the bad things that I already know. The other is that I'm only going to hear about improvements that I already know about as well, right? Because I think I know everything. And the problem really is that, in fact, I don't really know everything. That's something I have to remember when I when I go out there. You know, we have this curse of knowledge. It's basically, um, we think we know the things that are wrong, and we care a lot about those things. We think we know the things that are missing, and of course, we care a lot about those things. But the fact is that the reason you're going out and talk to your, talking to your customers is that your customer doesn't really care about the things that you know. They don't really care about your product, except in so far as your product will help them solve their problems. The thing that they're working on, they, they want to have something that will fix the thing that they're working on, that'll make the thing that they want to do better. And you probably, as the person with the curse of knowledge about your own product, you probably don't have a good sense of what that is that those people need. And that's why you have to go out and talk to them. Because you're, gonna, you're interpreting everything that happens in your product in the context of your own product. And this is true even if you actually are an expert in the domain of th your users. <laughs> So, for example, I'm a product manager. I was the product manager for a product for product managers. And you would think that I would be an expert in the domain. But the fact is that every single time that I talk to a customer or a non-customer about product management and what they wanted in tooling, they all gave me insights that I didn't have before. And that's just the way that it, that's just what happens constantly when you go out and do this customer discovery stuff. It's just, it's fascinating, but it's really because we think that we know everything. And the fact is that we don't know as much as we think we do. So that's where the gaps are. How do you actually get started on this? Well, first of all, make a list of the people that you want to talk to. And how do you figure out that list of people? You, it could be some categories of folks. You know, it may be specific people that you have in mind, people that you know, is, a, is often a good place to find people. And that, of course, could be your customers already. It also could be other people that you are linked to, for example, on LinkedIn or people that you know or, or have connections to. And in fact, here's a list that is, is um, based on 
uh, Teresa Torres, a Teresa Torres article. There's a link there, but I will give you a link again in the show notes. But so things like your connections, your LinkedIn connections or your friends, depending on the type of product that you're trying to sell, your existing customers, prospects that you lost, perhaps, they're often really good to learn about what you might be not thinking about in your product or why a, a competitor's product might seem more appealing. And you, you don't always know that from the outside. It's really good to get insights from your clients or from lost prospects. You can use services to actually find people for you. This is an idea from Teresa that I hadn't thought of before, but of course there's companies out there that will find people for you to interview. Of course, you have to pay for that, but sometimes that's worth it because these problems that you're going to find are going to create money for your business. You can also recruit people from within your application. There's ways to put in little plugins that might pop up at certain times that let you ask a user, you know, can we schedule a call to ask you more about how you're using this feature or something like this? Or maybe if they cancel something or maybe if they abandon a, a cart, you know, all these different things. There's lots of different ways that you can add those. Now, there's a lot of stupid ways. I, I, I get a lot of those pop-ups that said, we'd love to have you do a little survey on our website. You know, are you willing? And I almost never am willing because those are, usually they come up right when I get to the website, which is dumb. I don't even know how I feel about it. And I'm just trying to get something done. So it's better to, to do that a little bit more smart, a little smarter. Um, you can also, if you make friends with your fo with folks in customer support and sales and things, you can ask them to, when certain things happen with a customer or a client, that they let you know and, and let you set up a, a call with that client. You know, when this happens, when some, some particular thing happens, let me know and, and I want to have a uh, talk with that. You can also go to where people are. So things like meetups and conferences and malls, as in the case of the Teresa Torres story. You do want to become friends with people that are talking to more customers than you typically are. And that's people like sales and customer support or customer success and also services. Now, they're typically always talking to more customers than you probably manage to on a day-to-day -day basis. And what you want to encourage them to do, and I've been preaching this a little bit to some folks in, in customer support and customer success, I want them to ask me to join them when they're having conference, when they're having calls with customers. Now, I'm going to, just because of the nature of things, I'm not going to be able to say yes all the time. And I've warned them that. I tell them basically, anytime you're talking to a customer, particularly if it's sort of some interesting situation, please let me know. And I would love to join you if I can. And this is a way to hear stuff directly from the horse's mouth. And I always also mention to them that this is I can either be a fly on the wall, not be actually not participate in the conversation, or if they want, and this can be valuable for them, I can just ask questions of the of the client as well. So that is something that often can be valuable. If I get a chance to do that, that's something I really like. Get to know your get to know your salespeople and your customer support folks and things like that. So what else? So how did I actually do accelerate my customer visits? It was a very important superhero moment for me, which was that I found a collaborator who was really good at making appointments. It was, she was literally, I would say literally a hundred times better. And when I say the word literally, I mean that in actual fact, she was a hundred times better at this than I was. She could make these appointments happen with so little friction compared to what it took me to make it happen that it was unbelievable. I would say to her, I would really like to talk to this particular customer for this reason. And she would, within a few minutes often, have an appointment set up something that would be very difficult for me to do. I don't, and again, this isn't rational. I have the skills to do this. I should be able to do it. 
and yet for some reason I can't. And she was really good at it. Now she was also somebody, luckily, who was a great person to have on the calls with me. She was another person on the product team, and she was had much more of a user experience orientation, where I was much much more about process and things like that. And so she was really valuable to have on the team. We were great collaborators, but this was something that was just so great that she could do so much better than me. And I really recommend, in general, to get a collaborator who can augment the things that you're not good at, if, if at all possible. And even if they can't necessarily augment the things you're not good at, it may be that together as a team you can do it better anyway. And so it's always great to have a collaborator for all of these kinds of situations, particularly if you have particular weaknesses like, like I do. Let's talk about how to have these meetings physically. So we, we talk about get out of the building, and, we, and there's that well-known phrase from pragmatic marketing, nothing interesting, nothing important happens in the office. Nihito, is, it's often shortcutted. But the fact is that, you know, for many of us, our customers aren't near, near enough to us that we can go visit them on a regular basis. That's an ideal thing to do often, or it's really great to go and visit customers in person and to, in their workspace to see how they work. It's actually pretty difficult to set those meetings up, but you are likely to be spending a lot of time on the phone or in a, an online call of some kind, right, where you can maybe see their screen or you can talk to them face-to-face, -face, whatever it might be. You can, of course, have them come to you, particularly if you have a user experience lab where you can do some testing, or maybe you can set up a, a remote user experience lab and go someplace where there's a lot of customers and have them come to you there. So those are some of the things you can do, but if it's not really, you don't really have to get out of the office to get a lot of benefit. It's, it's good in some ways, but it's really true that sort of without certain other aspects of that thing, you're not going to learn everything you'd like to know from being at the customers. I mean, really the, the big thing about being at the customers is if you can see them work, particularly if you can see them work without them noticing, meaning you have to be there a long enough time that they get used to you being around and they just act normally you can learn a lot of really valuable information in that situation, but it's often difficult to get that situation set up, as you can imagine. That's one of the, that's what you do f physically. But then the next step, and I'm, I said there's a lot of steps, and I'm just really now on step two. I call it step two because I put together finding the, finding the people to talk to and setting up the appointments to talk to them as sort of one, that's one step. But step two is then what are you, you going to talk to these people about? What are you going to ask them? And so there's a whole set of things you want to think about at this point, right? So you're you're out there talking to customers because you have some hypothesis about the market, typically. And your hypothesis may be as broad as, well, we have a product that does something in project management, for example. So I want to talk to these people about what they, how they think of pro project management or what their challenges with project management are, right? So it may just be, I want to learn more about things I can solve, problems I can solve related to project management since that's what I already do. So that could be your hypothesis. You may have a, a more detailed hypothesis. I want to learn if closing out projects at the end of the project is a big problem or challenge for my customers or for the market, or if it's not a big challenge, if it's something they, that they think would be valuable to do more automation around or not. And so then you have to then start working out what your quest line of questioning is going to be. And the goals here are to, the, the most important thing to avoid when you're doing these interviews with customers where you're trying to find new market problems is to avoid leading the, the customer. 
In other words, you don't want to put an idea into their head. You want the ideas to all come from them. And so you have to ask open-ended and non-leading questions. And what does that mean? Well, typically, you can ask about the problem space, or you can ask about the domain, but you want to keep the question in a, in a problem space. So what are the problems in this domain? For example, if I were going and talking to project managers, I would not say, hey, what are your biggest issues in the world right now? I would say, hey, what are your biggest issues with managing your projects right now? Or I might even say, if I felt like there was a likelihood that there was some problems in closing out projects, I might say, how important, I might do something like this. How important is, are the challenges of closing out projects related to some of the other things you do in project management? Now, I would be hoping for an answer where they said, oh, that's the thing I really struggle with. The tools aren't supporting me very well. And then I would ask further questions. Or they, but they might say, oh, you know what? Closing out the projects, it happens once, once every project. I have a few steps I do to do it. It's not that big a deal. And really, at the end of that, we don't, we don't really even really care too much about that. It's really the, the management of the resources and the scheduling of the original tasks that are the big challenges. And right there, I learned a bunch of stuff, right? I learned, oh, this thing that I'm thinking might be, there might be a reason to solve a problem there around closing out a project. For this person, anyway, maybe not that much of a problem. Now, I might ask a little bit more, a, question, a few more questions about, you know, to, to really validate that that's true. But I, I also just may say, well, if, I, if I've heard that from multiple customers, I may just say, well, you know what, there's no, there's no solution. There's no problem here that needs to be solved. Now, I do want to hear that from multiple customers in either way. So what are your biggest challenges with X? Um, not how are you handling X? What you want to do is, is if you find out that, yeah, that the, the problem that you're looking at is important to them, like, again, if I, if I got that first answer that says, yeah, closing out the project is a big pain, I'm not very successful with it, it takes me a lot of time, I'm not getting, I'm not able to show good outputs to my executive team, and so they really are wondering what I'm doing, and, and I also think we're missing out on some of the learnings that we'd like to do from our, from our project team at the project closeout, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So they're, they're saying, yes, we have a problem in, your, in the area that you're asking me questions about. So then you wanna find out, well, what are they doing about this problem? So how are you addressing closing out your projects today? And they're gonna give you some answers, and some of those answers may be things that you can, in, the, in your brain, you're gonna say, oh, I can create a solution to that. You don't say that yet. You also say, you know, have you tried different solutions? Have you tried to build something? Have you tried to buy something? And do you think there's some good solutions out there? And if so, why aren't you using them? Or have you evaluated them? And then you can also ask if they don't think there's good solutions, you can say, well, what would make a good solution, right? So those are all these kinds of questions. You're still staying though really in the problem space. The problem at this point is what <laughs> the problem of finding a solution to this problem. But you wanna find both of those things, right? You wanna find out what this, whether this is a big problem, if they're doing anything about it. One of the reasons you wanna find out if, if they've done things like looked for a solution is because that indicates that they might be willing to buy a solution, right? Because if they're not willing, if they're not doing any work or putting any resources into solving this problem, then it may be that this problem is not worth money to them to solve. And if it's not worth money to them, then it might not be worth money to you to solve it, right? Because we're always trying to find out how to create problem products and solutions that will cause people to give us money because they provide a really important and high value solution. If we find out that 
that particular thing is not one of the client's biggest challenges or prospects or customers, then we can we can do a little bit more drilling down on that just to validate, right? Does it ever come up? Um, and you can find out what they're based on what their answers, whether you maybe might want to drill further. You know, if they say no, it never comes up, then it's probably not worth asking about. They might say, oh, usually that's somebody else who has to handle that. And then, of course, what do you do in that case? Well, you go talk to that other person and find out if it's in one of their top challenges. You know, you're probably talking to the wrong person at that point. Or, you know, you might also just find out that they, sh they should have put it on their list of important things in the first place. Right? If you said, if you, this is if you got that answer, you asked the question, what are your most important challenges right now, sort of your top three, and they didn't say it, and then you ask about it, they may say, well, you know what, it's not top three, maybe it's top four. Or they might say, you know what, it really is one of the top three. I sort of wasn't thinking about that because of some stuff that's been going on this week. But yeah, I'd say that's really important. So there's some ways to, to uh, get into that as well. Now, even if they don't tell you that, that your domain, the thing you want to solve is one of their top challenges, you do want to make a note of what their top challenges are because those are possibly going to be other opportunities for you to create solutions, right? Maybe you should focus on one of them. And, but maybe you'll also hear other snippets of information from other informants that help you flesh out those things into a big unsolved problem that you can create a solution for and make some money. Wouldn't that be great? That is just some stuff on, you know, going out and finding market problems and how to take those steps. I love the parts about the questions. You can tell that the question stuff is like super motivating to me. The uh, making the appointments, not super motivating to me and I always need help or I need to force myself, unfortunately. But once I get on the phone, as I said, it's, it works out great. Hopefully that's not your challenge. You might have other challenges, but I think the asking question stuff is the most interesting, right? trying to drill into the problems, find out what the real problems are, and then try to get enough of a signal from multiple people that you can create a solution that no one has thought about before. And that's really where, it's one of the ways companies get really successful is they create a solution to a problem that really wasn't obvious from the outset. There's two ways to make lots of money on the internet. <laughs> There's a great phrase by Ev Williams, one of the founders of Twitter. The easiest way to make a billion dollars on the internet is to find something that everybody has always done and make it faster or better by using the internet. Like like gossiping, Twitter is an answer to that. Uh, Facebook also. Gossiping, of course, is a, is a long time area where humans have always wanted to do it and they continue to do it and there's always new tools for that. Music is another one, right? Everybody, music has driven hundreds of thousands of innovations throughout history and many, many businesses. And so that's just creating better ways to do music, whether that means being able to carry it around with you or being able to have all your songs in one space or even being able to transport music via printed sheet music, which was a huge innovation at the time that that happened. And there was a huge, huge businesses created around sheet music. That was long before people could record music and carry them around, and that became a big business. Anyway, the point is, find things that people do. But the other thing is, that's a lot of that's a lot of in particular how you create consumer successful consumer products. But successful business products often are are about gaps between existing solutions that you can fill, and things that are not that don't appear to be problems until you start to analyze the impact of them. And then you can often find 
you can often find ways to create solutions in those little spaces that are that are pretty powerful. I hope the ideas in this episode will help reduce your fear level on getting out of the building. Let me know what you think of these ideas by going to alltheresponsibility.com slash 308 and leaving me a voicemail or a written comment with your feedback and thoughts and additional techniques. For more information and to find the links to some of the resources I mentioned, you can go to that same place to see the show notes. That's alltheresponsibility.com slash 308. You can also find links to my YouTube page with all my live and recorded videos. And don't forget, I do that live video series on YouTube on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time if you want to join me live. If you like the episode, please consider rating and reviewing in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I encourage you to share it with your friends who can use tips on product management, on marketing, innovation, sales, and persuasion. I have all that stuff. And who of us really can't get better at all of those things? I also wanted to mention my upcoming online course on persuasion. For more information on that, to sign up to be notified when it's available and to get a little handout on persuasion tips, go to secretpmhandbook.com persuasion. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next episode, this is Nels Davis signing off. Thanks for listening. Ignition.